Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're continuing our walk through the book of Luke, and we've come now to Luke 6, 37 through 45. And there's a lot in this passage. Um, there, You really could take several of Jesus' statements, and you've got four or five sermons there, and that's not even cutting it close. What Jesus is doing in this passage is what's known as the string of pearls this was a rabbinical teaching method where the rabbi would talk about subject a and then move to subject b maybe even a subject c and then come back to subject a and b and c may not even be connected to a it was a string of pearls it was a way to teach multiple truths keep the attention of the audience etc james does this a lot and I believe that's what Jesus is doing here. So we are going to have to focus on one subject from the passage and deal with that. Now our text today is one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture among the pagans. <laughs> yeah, you heard me correctly. Because it's used to justify their sin. We say homosexuality is a sin, for example, and they say don't judge. We say murdering children is wrong, and they say don't judge. The problem is that they are taking this verse out of context and using it as a license to sin, when in fact, it is no such thing. For one reason, why would Jesus allow himself to die for sin and then essentially excuse it and say that sin's no big deal? That makes no sense. We would do well to look at the context of this passage. For this reason, I've entitled today's message, The Master's Most Misunderstood Message. And I believe it truly is. For I hear all the time from those in open and unrepentant sin, literally living for the devil. And if you say anything to them, don't judge. Jesus didn't say that to excuse riotous living. So let me lead our, read our passage. Luke 6, beginning in verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. I want to address this subject today, the master's most misunderstood message. May we pray together. And I found this prayer uh, in my quiet time from the Valley of Vision, and I believe it's very appropriate as we approach a very hard-to-understand passage, and we want to do so in a way that brings illumination uh, so that we can apply it correctly. O God, the Holy Spirit, that which we know not, teach us, keep us humble, disciple us in the school of Christ, learning daily that 
that they're what we are in ourselves, a fallen sinful creature, justly deserving everlasting destruction. Let us never lose sight of our need of a Savior, forget that apart from you we are nothing and can do nothing. Open our understanding to know the Holy Scriptures. Reveal to our soul the counsels and works of the Blessed Trinity. Instill in our dark mind the saving knowledge of Jesus. Make us acquainted with his covenant undertakings and his perfect fulfillment of them, and that by resting on his finished work we may find the Father's love in the Son, his Father, our Father, and may be brought through your influence to have fellowship with the three in one. Lead us into all truth, spirit of wisdom and revelation. We may know the things that belong unto our peace and through you be made new. Make practical upon our heart the Father's love that you have revealed it in the scriptures. Apply to our soul the blood of Christ effectually and continually and help us to believe with conscience comforted that it cleanses us from all sin. Lead us from faith to faith that at all times we have freedom to come to a reconciled Father and may be able to maintain peace with you against doubts, fears, corruptions, temptations. Your office is to teach us to draw near to Christ with a pure heart, steadfastly persuaded of his love and the full assurance of faith. Let us never falter in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. As we move through the Master's most misunderstood message, we're going to look at this as plain as we can. Here it is, three ways. What does it not mean? Okay, that needs to be established right off the rip. Number two, what does it mean? Number three, what does it matter? I mean, it's one thing to sit here and be uh, what we call uh, in, acad in theological academia armchair theologians, right? These guys that... Uh, they don't do any ministry really. They they're smart. They go. They get a PhD, um, maybe a THM, and then they go on to teach in seminary. And and brilliant guys. I'm not taking what learn from a lot of guys like that. But they have no real practical ministry experience, and so they often speak of things in the abstract in this convoluted way. Um, you know, what does it mean? What does it not mean? And, and and that's important. You have to start there. But but where the rubber meets the road is when theology moves from being intellectual to being practical. And then we must ask, what does it matter? What am I, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to do with the Word of God and with this passage? And so let's get started. Well, what does the Master's misunderstood message not mean? In order to fully understand and in turn apply the text before us, we would do well to consider what this verse does not mean. So Jesus says to his followers, notice his followers, judge not and you shall not be judged, condemn not and you shall not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put in your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So that's quite a mouthful, isn't it? However, most people who love to quote this passage do what? They stop right after the first phrase. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Or they shorten the passage and say, judge not, judge not. 
ladies and gentlemen, you, you ought to have enough intellectual prowess if you made it past the sixth grade to understand that Jesus didn't say that in order to give you a license to do whatever you wanted to. The Bible is literally filled with warnings that you can't do whatever you want to do. So we ought to be smart enough, and I think we are. I think these individuals are smart enough. They just like the comfort of being able to do whatever they want to do, which ultimately is man's problem, right? Go back to Genesis. God said, you can do just about anything you want except touch that tree, eat of that tree, rather. And what did Adam do? What did Eve do? He said, well, they were tempted by the devil. Still had a choice to make. And I said, you know what? I'm going. This is essentially what Adam and Eve did, okay? Are you listening? Essentially, they said, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And that's not what God has said. Anyways, and so it does not mean two things. It does not mean that we have a license to licentiousness. Now, you know what licentiousness means? Riotous living, sinful, wicked, uh, debauchery. We, it does not mean that we have a license to license. This message, this verse does not mean that you can just sin and do whatever you want to. That's not what it means. Why? Well, Romans 6, 1 and 2, Paul clearly says, should we continue in sin because of grace? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God forbid, he says. You say, well, that was Paul. Well, what about Jesus? John chapter 8, okay? Fantastic parable. I mean, sorry, parable, paragraph, I meant to say. Fantastic story. Jesus is out, and some of the Pharisees and the scribes and all their little posse, they come together. They find this woman committing adultery. They leave the man to do whatever he wants, and they grab her by the wrist, and they scold her, and they shake their little bony fingers at her, and they take her to Jesus. And they, and they say, she's an adulterer, kill her, kill her. And Jesus says, let he who is without sin among you cast first stone. And people love that part of the story. Because if they only look at part of the story and take it out of context, it becomes a license to licentiousness. They say, see, you know, I, I'm just like the woman in adultery. You know, don't judge me. But what did Jesus say to the woman at adultery? John 8, 11. John 8, 11, ladies and gentlemen. Go and sin no more. Did she sin? Yes. Did he forgive her? Absolutely. However, what did he say? Stop it. <laughs> Go and sin no more. Thus acknowledging that she was sinning in the first place. And so if you take the verse, judge not, to mean, well, you can just do whatever you want to. You have missed the forest for the trees. Secondly, it does not mean that we embrace evil. I hear from the left, constantly, it, 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 literally, as a theologian, as a seminarian, uh, as, as a pastor, it literally makes me want to throw up. 
they parade sexual deviancy and perversion, and then they say, well, Jesus said don't judge. Well, Jesus said don't judge, but he also said in the beginning he created them male and female, and for this cause shall a man leave his parents and be joined to a woman. And so don't you dare twist the words of our lovely Lord Jesus to excuse your sexual deviancy. You say, well, we don't want to judge, Pastor. Ladies and gentlemen, you better. You better make judgments. Let me ask you something. So should we let all the uh, sexual molesters out of jail and give them jobs at a daycare center? Well, don't judge. See, your logic is illogical. It doesn't mean we embrace evil. Let me give you some scripture. First Thessalonians 5.22 Abstain from every form of evil. Every form. Abstain. Stay away. Run. Flee. In fact, the old King James says flee. Abstain. Run. Not embrace and get a sticker on your car that says ally. I'm not an ally to any sexual pervert. The only person I'm an ally to is the Lord Jesus Christ. Abstain. So it does not mean that we have a license to licentiousness or that we embrace evil. Well, then you come to me and you say, Pastor, okay, well then what does it mean? Well, it means, as far as judging goes, that you are not to walk in the spirit of being judgmental. Look at verse 41 through 42. Jesus says, you know, if you've got a beam in your eye, don't be talking about the toothpick in the other person's eye. So simply it means that we cannot judge someone over something that we do ourselves. The drunk who, who gets drunk in private cannot look at the drunk who gets drunk in public and say, man, you're a drunk. <laughs> Whether it's in private or public, it's a problem. And so you cannot judge somebody for something you're doing yourself. Rather, stop doing it. Then you can go and take the beam. Because think about it. He says, then you can go take it out. Well, how do you take it out? you got to judge. The point is, you can't judge until you've judged yourself first. That's how we hold each other accountable. And we are called to hold each other accountable. The Bible says, confess your faults among men. You may be forgiven. If a man's in the wrong, then you which are spiritual go and restore such a one. Now, it means that we cannot judge someone over something we do ourselves, but it also means that we cannot judge someone by our personal standards because Jesus condemned the Pharisees for that all the time because they didn't just judge people based on the Bible, and that's okay because you're not judging them at that point. You're just agreeing with what God said. But the Pharisees went the extra step and say, well, we say X, Y, Z, and therefore you're wrong because you don't do what we say. Now you've gone from being a, a, a fruit inspector to being a judge, and you're not a judge. I'm not a judge. Jesus is the judge. Now we, we can inspect fruit and you better. I mean, you wouldn't let a pedophile babysit your children, so you better be able to make judgments but at the same time, we're not the judge, jury, and executioner. That's Jesus Christ's job.
So let me explain further. Cannot judge based on personal standards. Now, I know people that have this personal standard. They believe when you're in church, you ought to dress to the nines. Armani suits and Gucci boots. That's fine, dude. I mean, I get it. I, I, I really do. I was raised that way myself. I understand what they're saying, and that's great. But you can't back that up with Bible slick. You cannot show me anywhere in the Scripture where Jesus gave a chapter and verse command that you have to wear expensive or uh, high clothing in order to be right when you come to church. You cannot show me that. Okay? So stop. <laughs> All right? And it's, but it's okay if you feel like you should do that. And I understand the principle. People say, well, the principle is I want to give the Lord my best. Great. Man, I, I even agree with the principle. But you can't take your personal principle and use it to judge other people. Because we can only judge according to Scripture, not according to our standards. Because Scripture overrides standards. In other words, your standards must be subjugate to Scripture. You understand? And so, uh, you can't do that. Now, I, I just use clothes as an example. I grew up Baptist. I remember when people used to, they don't really fight about this anymore, but I remember back in the 90s, this was a big deal. You know, do we wear this? Do we not wear this? Do we listen to music from the 1940s that sounds like opera, or is it okay to have drums? You know, this was this was a big deal back then. Not so much anymore, thank God. Uh, but anyways, well, it's okay to have standards. That's fine. Keep them to yourself. And so it does mean that we cannot judge by personal standards. We cannot judge when we're doing something guilty of ourselves. We can only judge according to the Scripture. Now, finally, what does the Master's most misunderstood message matter? What does it matter? Who cares? What's the point? Well, the point is that we judge by Scripture to examine fruit. You see that in verses 43 through 45, and not in personal agendas. Good tree bears good fruit. If you go on in verse 43, bad tree bears bad fruit, etc., etc., blase, blase. We also do it with the intention to reconcile. Because the whole idea of judging within the body is to hold each other accountable. And I'm all for accountability. But it should always be with a reconciliation uh, end goal. A reconciliatory end goal. Now I'm getting my grammar confused. That's okay. Galatians 6 1 says, Brothers in a fault, then you which are spiritual go and restore such a one. So it should never be used in a way to condemn, but to reconcile. The problem is, most people. Don't even get that far because they're too busy getting stuck on blasting away at everybody. And so we have the master's most misunderstood message, judge not. We saw what it does not mean, what it does mean, and why does it matter. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, teach us 
that all our doings without love are worth nothing. Send your Holy Spirit and power into our hearts, the most excellent gift of love, the very bond of peace and all virtues, without which whoever lives is countless dead before you. Grant this for your only Son, Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.